Today we begin a brand new series called King. And this is the opening verse, Zechariah chapter 14, verse 9. And the Lord will be king over all the earth. And on that day, the Lord will be one and his name one. Worthy is his name. The name above all names. The only name under heaven which men can be saved. The name is Jesus. He is the one name that everything comes under. Everything falls under. Everything unites under. He's not a government. He's not a president. He's not a dictator. He's not a world leader. He's not a secretary general. He is king. He is not a king. He is king. And this is the way he says it. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the open door. I am the true vine. I am the way, the truth, the life. I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. I am, period. To put it in context for us, the people that live on this earth, the best way to understand is he is king. And the world is seeking an answer. The world wants to know, is there a solution to what's happening right now? What's been happening ever since he came, he died on the cross, he resurrected from the dead, he ascended and left this world physically to go to heaven to be at the right hand of the Father. Is there an answer since then? Absolutely. So for the next five weeks, as we go through Easter and beyond, one more Sunday beyond Easter Sunday, what I want to talk about is the aspects of Jesus as king, the pillars of his kingship. He is the king prophesied. That's what we're going to discuss today. He is the king that is missional. That's next Sunday. He is the king that's sacrificial. Good Friday. He is the king that has conquered death. He is victorious. That's Easter Sunday. And then finally, he is the king that's coming back. He is the warrior king. And so we're going to understand very clearly what it means to say that Jesus is king. Because as you're going out there and you're inviting people to church, what you're saying is you need to come and see. And you can come as you are. Because when you do, you're going to experience Jesus as king. So with that, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this series. We thank you, Father, for the opportunity to invite people to Kaya, to invite people to Holy Week and for Easter and all the things we got going on. Father, I thank you so much that it's not about us, that what we do in this church, what we do for you in the world is not about us. It's all about Jesus. Father, I thank you that as I preach on this series, when I preach today, that it will just pierce the hearts of those that are here and those that are online watching us, Father. I thank you that there will be open hearts to hear, ears to hear. And Father, I thank you that 
your will will be done through this season in our church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, Jesus is king prophesied. And before he was crucified, and we're going to be talking, obviously, a lot about that as we transition into the Easter uh, Holy Week, he went and saw Pilate. And Pilate called for him and punches Pilate, the Roman governor of that area during that time, asked Jesus to come in. And this is where we pick up in John chapter 18. If you want to turn there, John chapter 18, verse 33. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? That phrase is almost insulting. Because that is a a mindly mindset, or an earthly mindset. Are you just king of the Jews? You know, Pilate and all the Romans know that the Israelites were waiting for a Messiah. And of course, like the Israelites, the Romans misconstrued this as being a Messiah that was going to deliver the Israelites from the Romans. And that's not the case. They both got it wrong. That Jesus as king was going to deliver them from their sins. That he was going to usher in a new kingdom that's been around forever, for all eternity but it's going to be made visible to those that are of this earth. And so these people are thinking more of a natural level, not on the spiritual level. So when Pilate asks, are you king of the Jews? It's very much almost like an insult. And Jesus answered, do you say this on your own accord? Or did others say it to you about me? Does that sound familiar? Matthew chapter 16, if you would turn there. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 through 17. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. What do you say about Jesus? Are you like Pilate? Or are you like Peter? That's the question that we're going to answer together. Because this conversation between Pilate and Jesus is very personal. And as Pilate is looking at an earthly answer, what Jesus is trying to do is give him an answer that is the solution to everything that he has questions about. So when he says, Jesus says to Pilate, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? He wants to know what Pilate personally thinks about him. Every one of us is sitting in this room, every one of us that's watching online, Jesus is asking the same question. What is it that you say about me? We all have to answer that question. Every one of us. The reason why we're having Kaya, the reason why we do what we do every Sunday, 
because it's not just about a one-time event, is we want people to come to that answer on their own so they can personally say what Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He goes on, Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Again, still thinking on that earthly mindset. He said, your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? In verse 36, Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. He says that three times, this kingdom, this kingdom, my kingdom. Jesus is king in this kingdom. This kingdom that we don't see with our natural eyes yet, but is coming. That we will see eventually the new heaven and the new earth. That Jesus will rule and reign for a thousand years. His kingdom will be established here before the new heaven and the new earth even arrives. His kingdom that he is king over, it's a kingdom that we can't see yet, but it's there. Which means his kingship is so much greater than what Pilate is asking here. His kingship is kingship over a kingdom that we can't see, but he's a, he is a king, the king, over things that we can't see, over things that we can see, over things that we don't know, and over things that we do know. He is king over everything. So Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born. and For this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? What is truth? Jesus is saying, I am truth. Just as much as I am king, I am also truth. The world is looking for the king. The world is looking for truth. Pilate represents the world. He was also looking for truth. So what is truth? And who is this king? And where is this kingdom? It's a question I believe that a lot of us are asking. It's a question that I know the world is asking, and that is the very reason why we need to get the world in here. That's the reason why we're online, on social media right now, with this service. We want as many people to hear the truth about who Jesus is as possible. So how do we know that he is truth? How do we know that he is king? Well, one of the ways that we know that is he was prophesied. He was prophesied. What is prophecy? Prophecy is a message from God. Not just a message from God that is verbalized, that is presented, but it's also a message from God that is carried out and actually happens. He was prophetically prophesied that he was going to come be born into this world, that he was going to have a powerful ministry, that he was going to die a sinner's death on a cross, 
that he was going to be resurrected from the dead three days later, that he was going to ascend into heaven and be seated at the right hand of the Father, and that he is eventually going to come back to rule and reign. So who, who has prophesied him? Well, many. Okay, I have some names here that I'm going to go through, actually. I'm going to go through about 25 verses to show you what, what I've seen, what we all have seen as the church, as Jesus being prophesied. So Isaiah, Micah, Hosea, Zechariah, Daniel, just to name a few of the Old Testament prophets. Also, Jesus actually prophesied some things as well, to name a few. These are just some of the names of those that have prophesied his coming kingdom and, and what he was going to do for us when he was on this earth. Over 400 prophecies were given about Jesus. And about 300 he has already fulfilled. Those 300 are so important because as they've all been fulfilled, what that points to us is that the other 100 of them that have not been fulfilled are going to be fulfilled. That's comforting. Jesus being prophesied, what that should do for us is we talked about our troubles and what we're going through right now here at the beginning of our service, right? That God is our refuge and our strength. He is our present help in our time of trouble. What Jesus being prophesied should do to us is give us peace in our time of trouble. As we're seeing the world fall apart and we're seeing things increasing, right? What we talked about last Sunday about, as Jesus said, the birth pains, right? Those birth pains are becoming, beginning to be more frequent. They're starting to get more close together. We're starting to see one crisis on top of another crisis, and things are happening, and our troubles are mounting, but yet there's this underlying peace that we belong to Jesus, that we belong to his church, and that what he said is going to happen is going to happen. The last quarter of all the prophecies have yet to be fulfilled, yet they are going to be very soon. We should be at peace during this time. So let me, let me tell you about some of these prophecies. The very first one is King Jesus will come from the lineage of David. That's the first one I want to point out. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12 through 13. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you. You shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. This is Samuel prophesying that out of the lineage of David, Jesus would come from, would be born. The next one is King Jesus was immaculately conceived through the virgin birth. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. That was 700 years before he was born. King Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. That's also about 700 years before he was born. King Jesus would flee to Egypt and return after his birth. Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. 
King Jesus would teach using parables. Going back to Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9 through 10. And he said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. This is why he spoke in prophecies. He wanted those that could spiritually discern what he was saying to understand, but those that were cold-hearted, that were hard-hearted, that when he would speak in parables, they wouldn't understand. That's why the, par- the Pharisees couldn't understand what he was trying to say, and at times would be confused. So he spoke in parables. During his ministry, King Jesus would do miracle signs and wonders. Isaiah chapter 35, verse 5 through 6, Then the eyes of the blind shall be open, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy, for waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. So all the miracles that he did, everything from the blind to the lepers to the paralyzed to the dead, he did all these things, these miracles, these signs and wonders, the things that that we're craving right now as a church, that we have seen and experienced as the church that we believe, as I've preached on before, about extraordinary things, that when we come here, we bring our troubles before God and we say, we need this and we need that, whether it's healing, whether whether it's an encouraging word, whether it's something that is broken in our lives. He still does these things today, but it was prophesied that he would do them then, and he has, and and he will continue to do so. King Jesus would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey, Okay, we're about ready to celebrate Palm Sunday in two weeks. This is also in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. That was an amazing scene. Him telling his disciples, go and get a donkey for me. And he gets it, he gets on it, and he rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. What kind of king does that? It's almost like poking fun at earthly kingship. Continuing to say that, you know what? You all call me a king, but you have no idea. You really don't understand what my kingship is all about. Again, it's not about me delivering you from the Roman oppression. It's about me delivering you for something a whole lot greater than that, your sin. You know, this, this should give you, this should give everybody that's outside these walls that don't go to church, that don't belong to God yet because they haven't put their faith in Jesus, a whole lot of comfort to come as you are. If king of the universe, of king of, of his kingdom, king of everything seen and unseen, everything known and unknown, can come into Jerusalem on a donkey, then how much more can we come as people that are broken, as people that need Jesus as Lord and Savior to save us from our sins? Because as I said, there's no other name under heaven which man can be saved. How much more should that give us comfort that we can come and be as we are and see for ourselves the love and goodness of God? Right? So when I see him coming in as a humble servant almost on a donkey, 
then that gives me confidence that I can come as I am, that I can come and see. King Jesus would be betrayed by Judas. This is in Psalm chapter 41, verse 9. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. That's amazing. King Jesus' disciples would flee from him before being arrested. Psalm 31, verse 11, because of all my adversaries, I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors, and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. His friends abandon him. After the Last Supper, you know, Peter said, Lord, we'll never leave you. They all did. In his greatest time of need. And when he was alone, what did he do? He called out to the Father. And that relationship with his father was the most important thing. That's what sustained him during this horrific time that he was going to go through as he bled out for us on the cross and faced death. That is so important. That should tell you that it's not really about the people that's around me that matter. Let me clarify that statement because that sounded kind of bad. Yes, we love people, and yes, we depend on people, and yes, we need people in our lives. But what happens if they were all to fall away? What happens? Do you have a a firm enough relationship with Jesus to be able to, to, to go to him and say, Lord, they've all abandoned me. They've all left me, but I know that you're with me. It's not just about being saved but it's also about having that relationship because there's, there's no way that I can get through my life unless I know that I know that he is the center of my life. And so we can see Jesus, when his friends all abandoned him, we can see that he was able to fulfill the mission to save us because he had a strong and solid relationship with God the Father. King Jesus was beaten, falsely accused, and he did not defend himself. This is out of Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. What incredible strength, discipline, power of the Holy Spirit to be able to stand there and not defend himself. Why? He didn't have to. He displayed the power of God through him so mightily with all the miracle signs and wonders. He already had proven himself that when he was being accused, there was no need to open his mouth. King Jesus was crucified and amongst thieves. This is Good Friday. We're, we're going to have a Good Friday service in here on Good Friday. So this is specifically celebrating the sacrifice that he did for us. Psalm 22, verse 16. For dogs encompass me, 
company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. The cross. We're going to talk a lot about that, especially on Good Friday. But the cross was an instrument not just of death, but of torture. Romans were very crafty in how they put people to death. And it was no different for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He faced the same type of death. His body was pierced and he was wounded, not just to pay for our sins, but to bring healing and wholeness. And not just healing and wholeness for things that are physical, but healing and wholeness for things that are internal, things that you deal with in your mind and your heart, depression, anxiety, whatever it may be. And that when I go through things in my own life, that's what I look to. It's what he did for me on the cross, taking the stripes on his back. I think oftentimes we as believers, we tend to go to the, to the kids ministry type view of what happened on that day. And if you've never seen the passion of the Christ, I think you need to watch that. That will give you an understanding, maybe just a slight glimpse of what it was that he did for us on that day. And I don't even think they did it justice. King Jesus would have his garments divided and gambled for. Psalm 22, verse 18, they divided my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. I mean, not only did he go through all that he went through, the torture, the piercing, the cross. But they ridiculed him. They, they humiliated him. They divided his garments before him and cast lots for them. Not only that, they taunted him. Psalm 22, verse 8. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. That was verbatim what the Pharisees were saying. Why don't you save yourself? King Jesus would be in agony over separation from God on the cross. This is Psalm 22, verse 1, which says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? It's exactly what Jesus said on the cross, which fulfilled this prophecy. It is something that I pray none of us in this room ever have to experience. Separation from God because of sin. And for that moment when he was dying on the cross, he experienced that separation because he bore the weight of all of our sin, every bit of it, past, present, and future. All of our sin weighing down on him. And that weight was separation for the first time ever from his father. 
What kills me is that there's people in this world that are still walking around thinking that this is all that's offered, that whatever this world has to offer, this is what I have, and I'm enjoying it. Maybe some people are not enjoying it, but all they think of is this is all I have that's for me, is what this world has to offer. And what they don't realize is they're separated from God right now, and they will be for all eternity, that they will be on one side looking in to heaven and seeing what we have and be eternally tormented that they can't have that. It goes back to are we living our life to reflect the kingdom? And I'm going to get that here in a minute to where there are people that are looking at us and saying, where is your God? Where it's possible that one day they have not received Jesus, they'll be screaming for all eternity, where is God? Because they will experience the same separation that Jesus did on the cross. King Jesus was innocent, yet died amongst thieves and buried in a rich man's tomb. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 9. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. So this also talks about how Jesus was completely sinless, totally innocent. But yet he was crucified amongst the thieves, between the two thieves on the cross, right? But then also buried in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb, which was a rich man, a tomb that was cut out of rock. And only rich people were buried in a tomb like Joseph's tomb. And of course, the thing that should bring us complete joy, King Jesus would resurrect from the dead and be victorious over death. That is what we're going to celebrate on Resurrection Day, which is Easter Sunday. Psalm 16, verse 10, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. Isaiah 25, verse 7 through 8, and he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth the Lord has spoken. Praise God. Death is defeated. It was prophesied and he fulfilled it. Like that should give us complete peace. And it's what I said last Sunday about how sometimes our, our mindset is on this life alone. And like, and like we struggle. We have one trouble, one trial after another come at us. Sickness, the world falling apart, whatever it is, fear, anxiety, and we get stuck in that. Is this all that life has to offer? No. One day I'm going to die. But the Bible says, as a believer, I merely fall asleep. And to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord Jesus himself. And I stake my life on that. I stake my eternity on that. This is something that we have got to promote more so that the life that you live right now is not the only life that you will live. That God created you to live eternally. The question is, which side of eternity are you going to fall on? Are you going to be with Jesus? Or are you going to be 
in hell? Are you going to be enjoying his presence in heaven for all eternity? Or are you going to be on the other side completely, utterly separated from God? The resurrection is key. It's core to what we are. It's core to what we believe in. And as Paul said, he pities if there was no resurrection. He pities us. That there's there's, this sense of what it is we're living for. What are we living for? We're living for Jesus, but we're also living for his coming kingdom. And the fact is that he is raised from the dead. He is resurrected. We stake our confidence in that. That is what we live for. That is the truth. It was prophesied and it happened. And there is a reason why the entire world on one Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, stops to remember and to reflect on that. The question is, do you believe or not? What is truth? As Pilate asks, this is the truth. This is the way. King Jesus would then ascend to the right hand of God after his resurrection. Psalm 110 verse 1. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And that is what he's doing right now. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. He is our high priest. He intercedes in prayer on our our behalf. He knows everything that's going on in all of our lives. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows every step that you're going to take, every step that you did take, every step that you think you're going to take, that you don't. He knows it all. Knows your troubles, knows your concerns, and still looks down in love. And is still saying, Come as you are, come and see. We're still in that age of grace as he is there interceding on our behalf from the right hand of God. So what does this mean for us? This means that all of the things that were prophesied, the 300 plus prophecies that Jesus has already fulfilled, you can go and look in the four gospels and you can read for yourself the accounts of everything that happened. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the book of Acts. Go and look through those things and see everything that I just read from the Old Testament has happened in the New Testament. But there's still some things that are are yet to happen and that is his second coming. So right now we're in between his first coming and his second coming. We're in between the beginning, when he was born, and then the end, when he will come back and establish his kingdom. And what did I say about the end last week? It is not yet. There's this huge but. But the end is not yet. We're in this time right now to where Kaya becomes an important thing where Sunday service becomes an incredibly important thing. We shouldn't look at it anymore as just a routine. We shouldn't look at it anymore as something that we just come and enjoy. No, it's an opportunity right now to bring people into his kingdom. So what does that mean? That means King Jesus will come back. Daniel chapter 7, 
verse 13 through 14. This is one of the prophecies that have yet to come to pass. Daniel says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Matthew chapter 24, verse 29 through 31. This is Jesus picking up where basically we left off last week. And he said, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will, not be, or will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. He's coming back. It's prophesied. This is Jesus himself saying, I'm coming back. So Zechariah chapter 14, verse 9, the verse that I began with, the verse that's going to be the foundation for the rest of this series. I'm going to read it again. The Lord will be king over all the earth. And on that day, the Lord will be one and his name one. We're getting there. We're almost there. The church has been around for over 2,000 years. And it seems like it's been forever. And as we're waiting for him to come back, as we're, as we're looking to him, the author and finisher of our faith, the author of our salvation, to return, there are people that are out there that are asking, where is he? There are scoffers, as the Bible calls them. Where is your God? Where is he? I pray they repent and they turn to Jesus before it's too late. But then there's us, the church, that are asking the same question. Where is he? he. What I want to happen is the scoffers to stop asking where is he and instead ask who is he and what has he done for me so that we can give them the answers. What I want for us as the church to stop doing is ask as well where is he and instead, look what he's already done for me. Now, who can I tell about him? My closing verse is this, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. This is why he is tarrying. This is why he is waiting. This is why God has not looked at Jesus and said, okay, get up off your throne, get down here, and let's get this thing done. This is why the Lord is not slow 
to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. But is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. We're, we're thinking he's slow. We're thinking that he has taken too long. The world is making fun of us. But it's for their sake. And it's for the reason why we're on this earth as the church that he is seemingly slow. He is so patient. God is so patient. And we're the ones that are impatient. But he's doing this for our benefit and for those that are lost and their benefit. Why does it matter that Jesus is king prophesied? What matters is that God says he's going to do something. He's going to do it. And our responsibility is to help people see that. We have the proof. We have the evidence. Part of that evidence is written, yes, in the Bible, a love story to all of us. A love letter from God to us saying, this is my salvation plan. It's Jesus all the way from Genesis to Revelation, it's all about him and how we, the church, fit into that. It's our responsibility to tell others about that. So the big idea is this, no matter how small or how big, how possible or how impossible, God will do everything that he said that he's going to do.